You're listening to Creatives Prevail, unraveling the stories of creative professionals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Creatives Prevail. I am your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is musician, producer, engineer, and manager, John Curtis Sanchez. In this episode, we discuss why John went back to school after having years of experience as a musician and how that has propelled his career, including developing a production company, as well as being involved in multiple projects. We also discuss why it's sometimes important to take a break. Let's get into it. Well, hello, John. How are you? Yo, I'm doing great, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. <laughs> you know, it's great. it was funny because, you know, we, we've really formed a, a really strong friendship over the years, and we were having... Uh, lunch about a month ago, I would say, maybe a couple of weeks to a month ago. And you're like, hey, I should be on your podcast. And I said, hey, you know what? You you technically were, but we also never really had a deep dive on you specifically before it was with uh, Emily from Turn Zero. And I thought that was a great idea, especially because you've done so much since that last interview. Dude, that last interview feels like a lifetime and a half ago. Like, just trying to look back and imagine the difference, not only as an artist, a musician, but even just as a person from that last interview to today is wild. Exactly. And I thought that would be a great reason for you to come back and to talk about all the things that you have going on. But I did want to go back for a second. And I wanted to talk about your first projects that you worked on. So I know one of the bands that that band that I met, met you through was a band called Spar Far. Were you in a band prior to that? Or was that your first band that you were, you were in? So I was actually in a couple bands in high school, just through like a kind of like a school of rock thing. Um, we played a bunch of gigs in high school, a couple dive bars here and there, you know, county fairs. But, you know, nothing like Spar Far or any of the bands I'm playing with nowadays. It was definitely a lot of fun and gave me an idea what it means to be on stage. But I would consider Sparfar to be my first actual band because that was the first band I released original music with. So that's interesting. So was that was that original music yours? Like, did you help write the music or was it another member? So the lead singer, Nick Fent, he's the one that did all the writing. And then I met him while he was in the recording process. And I helped toward the first album and everything. And then we wrote a bunch of songs after the fact, uh, you know, some controversy with some labels came up as we were writing those songs so they never got released however um it was still some of the most fun music that i've written because it was most laid back and kind of broke all the rules that i was trying hard to follow back during those days and i still kind of keep with me to this day what what rules were they were those Oh, you know, everyone always wants to be the best, the fastest, the the most complex musician. And I'm sitting back there playing two chords on a song. And I'm like, this is just a vibe. What's the matter with playing two chords? And when you go back and listen to that music, it's easy listening. You can very easily tell that we both had huge crushes on uh, Coldplay and Chris Martin and all them. Just because that music, it like reflects it. And it was that style that really inspired us to keep playing back then. Um, and it was just fun because it wasn't overthinking it wasn't staring at my hands at every single moment i was playing i was able to actually learn to look out in the crowd and enjoy myself on stage back in there uh during that time have you ever it's funny that you mentioned this have you ever saw the movie mr holland's opus 
No, I can't say that I have. Okay, so I would definitely recommend to watch this movie, and it's on Disney Plus, I believe. Okay. And, um, it is one of my favorite movies. It's uh, stars uh, Richard Dreyfuss, and he is a music teacher. And it one of my favorite scenes in this film is there's a scene where he is with a student. And she's having, she's just really, um, the student's really struggling with, uh, with performing. And so he takes out uh, a record player and puts on, and then puts a vinyl on and starts playing it. And it's Louie Louie. Um, and, and he goes, and he starts talking about this move, this song. And he goes, there's only three chords in this whole movie. Like this is the same, same three chords as just repeating the entire time. Right. In that, in that song. And he goes, and I love it. And he goes, why? And, and, and the student goes, because it's fun. He's like, right, exactly. Music is supposed to be fun. And that's, that's the way I look at it is like what you're talking about. Like sometimes the most simplest expressions can be the most fun. Oh yeah. Absolutely agree. And so often too, like I talk about this because I, I teach as well. I talk about it with my students, you know, my colleagues, my bandmates. It is so hard to put ego aside and to just truly like let the song be what it truly wants to be. Now, don't get me wrong. We could play three chords and in the chorus add a seventh and in the verse add a ninth and do all these fun little music things that we all think are cool. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what comes out of those speakers and what you feel when you listen to it. And if three chords gives the best feeling, then three chords is all you need. There is a good expression um, from the jazz scene because I, I was jazz trained when I was in high school and that expression is less is more. And I'm a big believer in that as well is that sometimes uh, or I or sometimes I like to say it is simplicity through complexity where you can do some really complex things through very, very simple means. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. Uh, I feel like I could talk about this till the day is over. Don't get me wrong. Um, in fact, I will if you let me. I'm just putting that out there. No, that's okay. I mean, look, like it's, you're, we're just we're just hanging out. So, um, but you know, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, talk about the jazz scene. Um, because I've been doing a lot of playing down at the Jazz Jam here in Phoenix at Cornish Pasty on Thurnis, or Thursday nights, as well as Scumbag Airlines does one at Crescent Ballroom on Sunday nights. Both really cool places to go check out jazz. And it's really cool to see the difference between someone who's just absolutely shredding and someone who's just playing the melody and relaxing. And they're both beautiful and amazing, but they're also completely different feelings and two completely different emotions. And I just, I love the diversity. It's why I go out there so often. Absolutely. I, that's why I love listening to jazz is that it's one of the most unique forms of expression when it comes, especially when it comes to music, but I think just in general, because there are so many ways that you can approach it. There is, you know, as I, you know, you mentioned is that some people can just shred and it's amazing to just see them go for and do these really intense and, and, and very, very in, integral, uh, you know, you riffs and then you have some other others that play like a handful of notes and it's just equally as amazing as beautiful because those few notes that they played were so intentional and so you know cherry-picked if you will at those very specific moments so I, I mean and i like going both ways sometimes i like to shred and sometimes i just want to do like a couple little ditties here and there and then that's just what i want to contribute mm -hmm. absolutely you know, it's actually, you know, we talk about Spotify. If you go back and listen to some of those uh, tracks, like Epoch, especially, which was the main staple of that first album, Epochs, uh, 
the solo in it is about as simplistic as it gets. It's there's I think as fast as it gets was eighth notes at a pretty slow tempo, and it really just plays the vocal melody and the chord changes. And then if you look at some of my later stuff with like turn zero, I really tried to go and shred as much as I could. And again, I look back at both of those projects, and I'm so incredibly proud of the work that I put in with both of them. But they are as polar opposite as they get, trust me. And anybody who's listening, if you go check them out, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Wow, that that's that's amazing. And yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you've done so much, contributed both uh, so much to to both of those bands. And you know, it's it's interesting because you, uh, you know, because there, uh, right after this time, like especially like right after, uh, you know, you know, turn zero, you decided that you want to go back to school. I mean, you were doing a lot with Sparfar and Turn Zero and a bunch of other bands and projects, but you went back to school for music even after getting this experience. Yeah, I did. Um, actually, when I started Sparfar, I was at Mesa Community College. I was studying music performance and audio engineering. Um, and I ended up taking a break right after uh, my, what is it, fourth or fifth semester there because Sparfar had some really good opportunities. We did a couple little small tours, including we did like an acoustic stage with Vans Warped Tour. Um, and we got to play a lot of different states and a lot of different cities I would have never seen if it wasn't for that band. Um, and I ended up taking a break after that to really focus on music and do all these different types of things. Uh, and honestly, when I went back to school, because I continued going back to school for music, those experiences that I got honestly helped me understand the classes better and helped me connect more with what the teachers were saying. And that I think is one of the most like important things to my education is Ooh, trying to figure out exactly how to put this, but I'm sure there's a lot of students out there, especially in music school, when the teachers are saying things and explaining split sheets and, you know, like bookings and all this stuff that it, it just feels like nonsense. And it doesn't actually make sense until the moment you try to put it into practice and you do it yourself. And then after you've done it a couple of times, hearing those lectures again, oh, it just absolutely clears up all of the confusion and everything along that. It's was a really good experience and I'm honestly really happy and really proud that I went back. I actually just graduated uh, like two weeks ago. Congratulations. So thank you. Thank you. I got my bachelor's in pop music through ASU. Uh, I know hysterical, a bachelor's degree in popular music, but what that uh, program was able to teach me is I got a performance degree through guitar. I also got specializations in audio engineering for studio as well as audio engineering for live sound. And the amount of business classes I was able to take with that school was, you know, they every single one of them taught me some type of lesson that I've practically used almost every single day since uh, since I've taken those classes. That's amazing. So yeah, absolutely. That's well-deserved congratulations on that fact, because that's definitely not easy to go back to, uh, to go back to school and to, to learn these things, but it does make sense though, going back to what you're talking about before that you had, you had something to connect the classroom to your real world experience. And I think that's so important because I remember being, you know, when I was a student that sometimes the things that you, the, the professors were talking about felt so ethereal because I, I couldn't I couldn't reference something in my own life that I can apply this towards, at least not at that point in time. And so that sometimes makes it very challenging to understand, you mm -hmm. know, why it is these things are the way they are or how does it actually apply to me? Yep, exactly. It's kind of like, you know, music theory for most music students out there. A lot of them get confused. They struggle with the classes. They have no idea what's going on. 
but I love classical music. I've listened to classical music my whole life. So when we started learning about Baroque music and they were talking about different chords and the way they sounded, I already had that in my ear. I knew exactly what I was listening for. And I love my music theory classes. They're some of my favorite ones I took. But then I talked to other people who have never listened to classical music and they're just like, it's the worst class in all of college. And so many students go through that exact same feeling. And it's the exact same thing when it comes to business classes, when it comes to any class that you take, any life experience, any tour, it's, it's you only get out of it what you're willing to put into it. Yes, I 100% agree. In fact, that's something because I also teach as well. And I'm sure you'll feel the same way is that uh, it, is I try to encourage my students so much to get that practical experience or to get that practical knowledge so that when I am teaching them something, they can understand what it is that I'm trying to show them or to guide them. But in addition to that as well, I encourage my students all the time saying, please ask me questions. Like, please ask, like, ask, like, you are going to get so much more out of this if you are going to be engaged with me and, and, and to ask uh, for, you know, ask for feedback, ask, you know, why something works the way that it does. You know, you know, if you do are doing those types of things, you're going to get so much more out of this. Completely agree. Completely agree. So that's, so that's great that you went back to school and you've, you mentioned yourself that you got in some audio engineering as well, and that has has helped you get some gigs out of that as well, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. It's helped me get a lot of gigs, honestly, um, both as a producer as well as an artist. You know, I started taking those audio engineering classes to become a better player behind the glass. So I understood what was going on. So I didn't look dumb or feel dumb, and I was able to help out, especially when you go to a studio and it's, you know, $100, $200 an hour. If you can help get the setup time from 30 minutes to 15 minutes, you just saved yourself, you know, $25 or something like that. So that was why I did it. But at the same time too, I fell in love with it. I love recording. I love mixing live. Actually, I started a production company here in town, uh, JCS Productions, and we rent stages out to people. And, you know, I got a really good team of audio engineers that will run sound as well as I've helped record a bunch of people's albums here in town. I did Viridian's entire first EP. If you look back to turn zero, uh, the song drowned me and Emily did that in my apartment mm -hmm. at like 11 o'clock at night, screaming into microphones. My neighbors texting me. It was like, Hey, you guys sound great, but can you do it during the day? And we're like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. And it's funny that you brought up that, that, that cover specifically because, um, that, that particular cover, I remember that both you and Emily uh, contacted me and said, "Hey, what do you think about this song?" Like, and be be straight up honest. We literally just recorded in the in you know in in your, in your apartment, and so I and I was honest, like I I was truthful. I said, "Hey, look, you know, you can clearly tell it was recorded like in a few hours in an apartment." But I also said that you know the quality, the production quality is good enough where you can certainly release it on streaming. I said, just just call it acoustic. Right is is what I mentioned. I say call it acoustic because you're using you're using acoustic instruments anyway, and with you know production for acoustic, you can usually get get away with certain things that you can make it a little bit more raw, if you will, in comparison to something that's that is fully produced. So I said just call it acoustic, put it out there and see what happens, and it ended up being the the most streamed song from the band, and that was just on a whim of just hey let's just put it out there and just see what happens with it. Not only was the most streamed song for Turn Zero, it is like, I think the most streamed song on my entire discography. <laughs> I'd have to look back. There might be one giving it a run for its money, but it's it's definitely up there. 
but it is funny, right? Because like we did this as, oh, you know, we're going to be able to do this pretty often. We do want to do it as a test drive. Me and Emily never worked like that in that capacity. And we just put it out and out of nowhere, get some playlists, um, especially like in other countries and stuff as well. And we just saw the numbers and I'm not going to lie. It even terrified me to even try it again because the first one was so successful, uh, which is just, you know, musicians being a musician's heads, but we have to be able to break that down and being able to get back behind an audio board and work on Pro Tools again. Like, I know for a fact, I'm listening to some songs I'm currently actively mixing and I'm getting notes back from clients. And I'm just like, holy cow, my skills have skyrocketed uh, ever since that first song. That's amazing. I want to go back to your production company for a second because that is such a big jump between being in the classroom and learning to having your own production company with a team and getting paid to do this work. So can you talk about what steps you took from the classroom to building your production company and, and acquiring clients? Oh yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I think that is like, I want to clarify is I have been a music gear hoarder my entire life. I have always bought music gear. I've, if I, a show called or needed for it, I've been willing to go out and buy it. And because of it, I've just accumulated microphones, cables, speakers, and pretty much everything that is needed. And when I started taking some live sound classes with one of my uh, mentors, Patrick Driscoll down at ASU, uh, and learning about like what a full festival stage uh, is comprised of, I'm like, wow, I have like 80% of all of this stuff already. So I worked with him and he helped me get all the odds and ends and every single class, you know, my hand was the first one in the sky. I'm like, I either have an answer or I have a question. And I was not shy about talking in that class at all. Um, but eventually I accumulated the gear and most of the gear was bought for myself to play shows with my bands. And eventually I started doing other shows with and it was like, we were headlining and there was maybe one or two other bands that were playing as well. I'm like, we got the PA system, you guys, don't even worry about it. Then that band would come up to me afterwards, like, hey, we have this other show, we're playing this corporate event, can we rent your PA system? And eventually the gear started turning a little bit. I'm like, I think I might be able to make this a company. So I went through and after like five or six gigs like that, I was like, okay, I need to get a name for it. And I copped out, I used my initials. <laughs> Hey, you know um, what? It it works though, right? Because it's, it's because it's very straightforward and, and easy to remember. Exactly, right? Um, and with that, uh, eventually I started getting shows Rather, it was too much for one person to handle. Like it was just got bigger and bigger or I was going to be out of town or something along those lines. So I literally went to my classmates, my people that I'm learning with side by side. And I've asked them if they wanted to come help and run a show with me, you know, one or two times. And one or two times turned into more than that. And then eventually I'm like, you're in this with me, right? Like, uh, and they're like, yeah, th we're a team at this point. And now we go and we are able to set up. I've got multiple people I can call at any given moment. and be like, I need someone to run sound. I need someone to set up a stage at any given time. And on top of that too, uh, a lot of my stuff that I use for the, the live performances i also used to record and it could be like in an apartment or a rental like rehearsal space and the people again being my classmates at asu's pop music program know about live sound also know about studio work so they're able to come over with uh, me and do a little artist and we'll move microphones and listen on headphones and we're like all right this is a good sound we track it we mix it together and we're like okay and it's just fun because 
it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel like I actually own a production company. It genuinely feels like I'm hanging out with friends doing what we absolutely love to do. And somehow people just give us money for it. And we're like, what is going on? <laughs> That's an amazing feeling, isn't it? It's such a good feeling. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because I literally just did it, uh, another interview yesterday with a good friend of mine. And, you know, we were literally talking about this very, this very thing of to enjoy what you're doing. And I think it's just so important to have, you know, to have joy in the work that you do. And like you said, is that you, you can't believe you're getting paid for basically just hanging out with friends and, but you're working, you know, like you're doing, you're doing, you're doing this work and providing value to somebody else, but it doesn't feel, you know, it doesn't feel like a chore. It doesn't feel you're enjoying the entire process for, for, for doing all this work. You know, my dad has given me the same advice my entire life. It's do what you love, call it work and find someone to pay you for it. And I have never strayed away from that path. I've like gotten jobs at a grocery store. Like I worked at Winco, I think for six days and then I never showed up again. <laughs> and then I worked at guitar center for six years and it was so much fun, but you know, now that I have a bachelor's degree and all that other type of stuff, I've outgrown retail just a little bit. And I'm really focusing on just, you know, skilled labor and what I put my heart, soul and my entire life into learning. I did want to bring up, though, that because this is also, I think, equally as important is not only just finding what you finding what you want to do also means sometimes taking a step back. And you took a little break there for a while. Um, so you, cause you were during school, I think it was right before the production company was really kicking off right before that, if I remember correctly, uh, can you talk a little bit about, uh, why you decided to take a, a break from specifically in general? Yeah, there was a moment. Um, cause you have to remember, it doesn't matter what you do or how much you love it. Work becomes work at the end of the day. And the little things that go into being a musician, are some of the hardest things to do as a musician, because of course we all look at playing on stage and writing songs. That's the fun stuff, but that's like 25, 30% of the work at the end of the day, a big portion of it is scheduling, you know, people management, uh, you know, getting along with people, um, as well as, you know, outreach, so many emails, so many. Um, and there was a really good point where, I was trying to figure out if school was the right thing for me, if music was the right thing for me. And I just, I had to step back and I had to take a big break. And I think that was because, you know, if anyone's listened to any of the, if anyone knows my story at all, they know that I have a daughter, she's three years old and her mom and I were together for a very long time and things didn't work out. And now her mom lives in Texas with uh, my daughter and I live in Arizona. And there was so much piling up with me emotionally and it was hard to deal with. Um, so I don't think, I think I didn't touch my guitar. I didn't even listen to music for like three or four straight months. I was like audiobooks only, trying to figure out what I was able to do. Um, I actually moved back home down to Yuma, where my parents are, where I grew up. I worked, uh, I grew up on a farm, for those people who don't know. Uh, used to farm lemons and citrus, now we farm palm trees. So I literally came down and I worked with my dad for months just farming and literally hands covered in dirt and just was nice because I was able to clear my mind with everything. And at one point, I remember picking my guitar up 
and it took me about eight minutes and i wrote a song for liza called um sorry uh i like never mind i wrote the song for liza called if i would i could and i played it open mics i played it for so many people and every single person says that it's their favorite song they've ever heard from me because it's the only song where i've been as honest as i possibly could um and that to me re-sparked my entire joy for music and reminded me why i do this in the first place and literally ever since that moment i've haven't questioned it once i've i now know this is what i meant to do that's really amazing and you know you it was you know because you had so much on on your play but you know especially your daughter but you know also your you had you know school obligations all those things and to be able to to take a break from all you know from that to, to spend time with your daughter spend time with your family and, and to also clear in your mind you know that that's not an easy thing to do no, it's not, especially when a lot of responsibilities were landing on me because when you're in a band, right? Like every single person has their own job and their own, you know, role. And sometimes one person ends up taking a little bit more than everybody else, especially those members who've been in there longer than others. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly how to say some of the things that i feel if i'm being honest but one thing i do know is that i love my daughter more than anything else and i would do anything for her just to see her smile um yeah you know it's and i gotta give you a lot of credit because you did you know whether or not you came back you you did what you needed to do for yourself. And I think that's always the most important is to do things for you. You have to take care of yourself first, right? Amongst everything else. And mm -hmm. fortunately you were able to reignite, like you mentioned, reignite your passion for music and look at you now, right? You came back with a fiery passion back into music and now have your production company. And not only that too, but you've also are involved with multiple new projects. So, um, in fact, we uh, just had uh, L as well as Marloma as guests on the podcast before, which are both uh, projects that you're involved with. Yeah, they are. And they're, again, uh, projects that are so far away from other things I've done musically and a new challenge that I have absolutely loved to step up for. Um, one of the big things, too, when I took a step away from music is that I really just wasn't loving punk music anymore and you know grunge and hardcore it just i never found myself listening to it and that made it really hard to write and play these different types of songs but so l sloan is a country artist and they needed a bass player and i thought that that would be a really good way to kind of ease myself back into music and the live scene because I, you know i play bass a little bit but primarily a guitar player and i did not realize how much i loved country music until I started playing for L, as well as I didn't realize how similar bass lines were from punk music to uh, country music. When I first started out, uh, I only knew like a couple knuckle punk bass lines. And I played those in like some Lanny Wilson songs and they fit and they worked and no one pays attention to the bass players so and nobody noticed but me. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Marloma reached out to me saying they need a guitar player and i was really wanting to play guitar again so i was like yeah this would be a really fun little passion project to get into and i was absolutely blown away by her voice and her songs and her writing style and it was everything that i wanted to be a part of so 
I've helped work with her. We have an entire full live set. Actually, uh, Marloma and I um, have flown out to Boston to record a single, and we're going back there here in a, uh, about a month and a half. We'll be going to finish off an entire EP, and I'm really looking forward. The first song came out absolutely amazing. Me and her have actually done acoustic songs in our apartments again, and the production value, it's through the roof. Um, I've, obviously, I can't talk about it because none of the stuff is like set in stone or out there. But Mike, I will show you this song soon. You're going to laugh. Yeah, it's can't. a fun parody. <laughs> I can't wait. And it's just it's the music is exciting on both ends, right? You have super serious Americana country that literally makes me cry. Sometimes I listen to it to upbeat music that I just want to dance to and sing along with. And these are types of bands that I would enjoy listening to and the fact I get to be a part of them is just it blows me away sometimes like it's imposter syndrome and a half it's it, it's incredible I have yet to see Marlona Marloma perform live yet and I cannot wait to see her perform live but I've listened to her recordings even her prior recordings are, are absolutely amazing and you know L I've seen you know L you know, your your band uh for L Sloan play a number of times now and it's just like I'm not a huge country fan but I loved every single minute of uh, watching you guys perform it's truly amazing it's so entertaining so well done and both l and marloma are not only extremely talented but just extremely brilliant individuals very smart hardworking. you know the nicest people in the world too both of them are so you know very you know very good people to have on your team for sure oh yeah absolutely and i'm really glad that you brought up l's performances because it's something i would love to talk about is that Every single person in that group is a performer, right? Like they know how to be on stage and none of us, not like not a single one of us knew what to do on stage until we got there. Kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. But, um, I mean, our acoustic guitar player, Max, this is his first band. This is the first time playing live. And in a wow. little of a year, he is some of the most exciting person to watch on stage. Um, and what I really do think that equates to is when we were first starting off, we didn't say no to a single gig. If it paid $50 at a dive bar and there was three drunk dudes and a cat there, like we were playing that show because at the end of the day, it was just another practice and it was another time to understand what we're trying to do. Yeah, now we're playing some bigger shows and stuff like that, but we've like, oh, sometimes it's hard to say things that are in your head. Like me, for example, example you grinded, right like, you, you grinded you grinded grinded it out yeah exactly we grinded it out and you know we didn't feel like we were too big or too cool or too important for any show even to this day we will hard consider every single offer that we get and if we decide we have to say no and we feel bad about it you know it's still the decision that we have to make but when we were first starting out and we're first playing with each other it was just yes 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 and i think at one point it was like a month we did like 20 some gigs and it was just like every other day it was load the truck up and let's go wow that's amazing and like you said that gives you so much practice with the band because you can also rehearse so often but being up on that stage and actually engaging with the audience and and reading the room especially yeah that that only that only comes from actually doing gigs exactly um like I remember we have these whiteboards at ASU and I was practicing once with Marloma and I drew because they were just talking and I was just toned completely zoned out. But I drew this massive stage with a bunch of little people and like smiley faces. 
um i wish i have a photo of it i'll maybe i can send it to you or something uh, and i was like i want you guys to pretend like you're on stage and i look over and everyone's looking at their hands and i'm just like when Marlama goes to perform live now since that moment like we've put the effort in where it's gonna be a fun show but I do think that that's the long way around is to practice in front of a mirror and do the meticulous stuff. When L you play four shows live and you notice somebody talking in the back of the room, like that is, that's just the experience that comes with playing, you know, a hundred, 200 bar gigs. Yep. Absolutely. I also make a mention too, because you're talking about working with, you know, you're obviously the musician for both of these bands, but you also work on the business side with both of them. And in fact, you also manage a band as well. I do. Yeah. I manage New Capital, which is led by Hayden Freeman. That's awesome. What made you decide that you want to do managerial work? Because obviously that's the opposite end of the spectrum. It is. So I was actually playing with New Capital um, and New Capital's had one uh, show, which was a release show. Um, and we did great. Uh, Hayden and I worked really hard on finding a venue, selling tickets, finding the exact right band. And not only did we sell out that venue, we oversold it by like 20, 30% of fire code. And we were panicking because we're like, we're going to have to turn people away that have paid for tickets. Wow. Luckily, as small shows go, especially in Arizona, one or two people don't show up. And that one or two people turned into a few. And we were only like a few people over fire code, but uh, we literally had to make the bands sit outside during the show because like we we can't have you guys inside like it was smashed to the back wall and i thought that that was so much fun setting up shows and trying to get all those things and doing the promotion and all those little things i'm like wait i already do this for my bands anyways but then i also have to practice for the show and i also have to do this and it was like it was spreading myself too thin um but i didn't hate the work right i enjoyed it i loved it so I realized with uh, New Capital that it wasn't the music that I was most in love with. Like I didn't, um, don't get me wrong. The songs are phenomenal. They are crazy vibes. It's just, it's not my genre. Um, and, but I loved working with Hayden cause he's a dreamer and he has massive ideas and trying to help him get those ideas come to life have been so much fun. Like even if you just look at the album art, for uh, our songs. They are random and has so much effort has gone into it. Like for the uh, most recent single, we went out at two o'clock in the morning to the middle of the highway to find a purple light bulb. If you guys are from Phoenix, you know there's random purple light bulbs on certain ones. And we ran out with camera gear and smoke and lights and running around. And we would yell like kids playing hockey, car! And we would get everything off as fast as we could and reset up until eventually we got the right shot. And I think we took like a hundred and some odd shots for that for like two hours. But when I look at that album art and I look about like everything, working with the, the cameraman, Saul, and getting the editing just right and finding the exact right, it was just, it's just another thing that I knew I had to be doing in my day to day. I feel the same passion because I've been representing bands for over 15 years now. And that's that's the excitement that I enjoy. I love I love that. I love sometimes that that uh, down and dirty, you know, do yourself uh, mentality. But on top of that, too, the the coordination that is involved and just being part of something that you know, you can you are a part of something amazing right and something that's creative and you can do that in so many different ways and that's what i love that's what i love to contribute 
to projects like these is that and you know sometimes there are projects that you you know that you may not resonate with the music specifically but you resonate with the person i mean i that i experience that all the time myself and with you know people that i know that i immensely respect i may not necessarily connect with their music i might not even be able to represent that person because of the you know because of what they're playing is not exactly within my same wheelhouse but i'll be their biggest cheerleader or whatever i can send their way i can i'll send their way or if they need to brainstorm ideas just because i just believe in them as as a as a human mm -hmm. exactly right and that's one thing i think a lot of people don't understand about the music industry is again it's not who's the best who's the fastest who's the best dressed it's who's fun to work with. Who do you want to spend the night, you know, in a dark, grimy room hanging out with? And those are the people that get called back to do shows. Those are the people that, you know, if you're nice to the management staff, if you're nice to the bartender, if you're all this, it's like, those guys are cool. I'm willing to talk to them. Cause let's be honest, if you're playing some shows and there's 15 people there and you play your set and you get, you know, a 20 minute break and you go get a drink, the bartender will sit there and talk to you for a little while. And, it's do they want to sit there and talk to you is half the battle. I agree. All right. So we can start wrapping things up here. Um, because yeah. I want to be respectful for your time. Um, so I do have a couple of fun questions to, to, uh, to end things. So the I'm first ready. question is uh, first concert that you ever went to. Uh, it was actually crown the empire. It Ooh. was in down in Yuma, Arizona in a place called the venue, which is no longer there, but it was like this old house painted black. Um, I remember going because my friend had an extra ticket and it was like two days after I got my license. So we were like, oh, we got to go. And I go in, no idea who the band was, no idea who any of the lineup was. I didn't even, uh, and I walk in, I'm like, that's Crown the Empire. And he's like, yeah. He's like, they just did a sold out show in San Diego for like 45,000 people. And we're like, yeah, and now they're playing Yuma. I'm like, there's 18, maybe 40 people in this room. Uh, and they're like, yeah, it wasn't advertised. I'm like, how did you get these tickets? Uh, well, I ended up being front row. The guy pulled me on stage and literally threw me first and only time I've ever crowd surfed in my entire life. And it was, it was an insane night. And I think that was wow. one of the biggest reasons where I'm like, I need to do this forever. Like live music is the place to be. That's an incredible story. That's actually one of my favorites now is, is that from that question? That's incredible. Do you have a go-to song to sing in the car a go-to song to sing in the car yeah okay so i want to say like any paramore or any fallout boy song because i will belt those till like my lungs give out but lately it's been a song called pitch and fits and it's this cool like acoustic americana it's just one guy and his guitar and his guitar is a little out of tune and it's just it tells a beautiful story and it is just I don't know, maybe it sits in my register right, but it is so much fun to sing. Before I get to the last question, I also did want to mention real quick um, that, because uh, this re actually reminds me asking you these questions, that you also have an original project. I did want to make give you a, a quick shout out on that too, because I want to make sure that people know that not only are you work, you know, a musician for other bands, working for other bands and managing them, but you also are still releasing your own original music that's under under you. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm currently working on an EP. Um, don't be wrong, in the band world, definitely release singles, have stuff pr to promote. Like, I'm fully for that. But I'm releasing my music, not really for anyone to like go and search for, but 
something that I just want to have as my own personal memento. So I am releasing uh, one long enough to fit on a CD that I have uh, that I can physically just own because I think that's really cool. I'm halfway through recording a couple of this. Um, or I'm halfway through recording the whole EP, actually. I've got a couple songs done. Um, and they're literally all just songs for my daughter. Like there's, if I would, I could, Tag Along, Cry Baby, like <laughs> literally just a bunch of songs I've written for her. And... I don't know. I think it's just a cute memento for myself. Don't be wrong. One day I might take it seriously and like actually write songs for the masses. But every single time I'm showing people these songs that I've written because they are literally so personal. There's no metaphors. There's no nothing. It is just stories being told. The people that listen to it somehow resonate with it, with it more than any of the other ones I've written. Cause a lot of songs I write are for other artists, right? Like I'm a songwriter as well, but yeah, I don't know when I'm going to release that. I have to figure that all out. I need to get through a lot of the production stuff. Um, songs are written. This are pretty much recorded. It's just deciding when to pull the trigger to release that. So having said all that, <laughs> my last question to you is if you were only able to give one piece of advice to somebody in the music industry, what would that one piece of advice be? Oh, that's easy. You are good enough. I don't care what anybody tells you. You are good enough. This music industry is massive. There is so much work to be done and there's never enough people. I promise you, if you want to work in this industry, you can, you have to work harder than any other industry out there. That's for sure. But you are good enough to work here. Well, thank you so much, John. It's uh, I, I really enjoyed this. I was so excited when we were talking about doing this and we got a chance to put this together. So thank you so much. I, I greatly appreciate your friendship and you, I definitely is somebody that I admire and you definitely inspire me. So, you know, thank you so much again for being on the show. It does mean a lot. Oh, Mike, thank you so much for having me. You know, you're one of my best friends and closest colleagues here. Uh, I will always respect you. I can talk. I will always respect you. Um, and I'm glad that the world kind of finally gets to listen to our chaos. Cause so everybody knows me and Mike hang out like once a month to get lunch. Yep. This is it. It's like two or three hours of us just talking just like this. Exactly. And I'm so excited <laughs> to like be able to listen back and be like, oh, we are chaotic and crazy. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. You're welcome, Mike. Thank you so much for listening to Creatives Prevail. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave us a review. They are an immense help. Now go out there and make something happen.